Bible today, if you would please, to Matthew chapter 2. We're, of course, now one Sunday past Christmas, but we're not quite through looking into this story of the world's most miraculous birth. Of course, we're talking about the birth of Jesus, the Son of God, the one who came to this world in the flesh and is the Savior of the world. The birth of Jesus 2,000 years ago was 2,000 years ago now, and in those many years since Jesus came and since that event took place, there's been a lot of confusion about this story. There's been a lot of wondering about what actually happened. There's been much that is added to enhance the story. And much of what we hear about Christmas today is totally unbiblical. A few days ago, I was reading a story about a, a lady who was Christmas shopping with her five-year-old son. And she was just becoming totally exasperated by the pushing and the shoving and all that was going on as they were trying to buy Christmas gifts. She was trying to explain to her son what Christmas was all about. And she said to him, no one is quite sure how it worked out this way. And she said, theologians are working very hard on that question right now. Uh, two years ago, when I was shopping at the downtown mall, I was looking for Christmas gifts, and I came back out to get in my car, and there were two people that were trying to get into the same parking spot. There was a person that was backing out, and there was one car that was sitting there patiently waiting for that space to be emptied, when there was another car that came from the other direction, as soon as that car backed out, this car whipped into that space and took it. Well, what happened after that was not pretty. The, the, the driver got out of the car, the one who was waiting, and he challenged that driver to a fight. And in just a few minutes, both families got out of both cars and got into a fight in the parking lot, and the security had to be called and, uh, you know, take care of the matter. And we wonder what has gone wrong with Christmas. I mean, what, what is the problem here? And perhaps it might be that everything started going wrong because we were never given a command in the Bible to celebrate Christmas. We, we were never given anything in the Bible that says that this is supposed to be a holiday, holy day, as they would call it, of course. But I don't think it's necessarily wrong that we celebrate Christmas. But if we do, one thing that we shouldn't do, we should not mix up the events of Christmas and talk about things that the Bible simply does not say and add all kinds of different things to the story. And this is exactly what's happened with Matthew chapter 2. There have been a lot of things that have been imagined about those wise men who came to visit Jesus. Who were they? Where did they come from? How many of them were there? When did they arrive? What was the star that they were following? And all kinds of erroneous ideas have been added to this story. But all that we really know about this is what's recorded in just a few passages of Scripture. Matthew gives us two chapters to explain the Christmas story. Luke adds two more, but neither of them relate the exact same events. Luke doesn't even talk about the wise men. And so what we read here in the book of Matthew, this is all that we know about it. One thing that I do know for sure, there were men who visited Jesus. They came to see him. There was a light that did lead them. And I also know that by reading the rest of the Scripture, there is still a light that leads people to Jesus. Now, it's not a star that's shining up in the heavens. We don't look for that. But the light that leads us to Jesus today is the gospel of Christ. That's what shines into the heart of men. Now, today I want to continue to look at this story of the wise men in Matthew chapter 2. 
We started this last week and we're going to finish the message today. And I'm preaching to you the second part of the message, The Light Still Leads to Jesus. Now, if you'd stand with me, please, we're going to read the story once again. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, Thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Heavenly Fathers, we come to you today. We are just so thankful again for the Christmas story. And though we've read these words so many times in the past, we still stand in amazement that you would send your son into the world to die for our sins. Lord, as we think about this story today, I ask you that you'd open our eyes of understanding. May we see something here that will help us as we consider these things once again today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. For all of next year, and probably, I would think, into the year 2010, we'll be studying from the Gospel of Matthew. I'm not really in a hurry to finish this book because I know that we find here many of the teachings of Jesus. There are many doctrines that we'll encounter. There's much for us to learn here. I'm certainly not in a hurry to finish the story about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, really the greatest miracle that's ever occurred in the history of the world. I want to take just a few minutes to talk to you about the two points that we discussed in last week's message. This will sort of catch us up to where we are today. Number one, last week we talked about the search that brought them. Speaking of these wise men, the search that brought them, they came from a country that was east of Bethlehem. What country that was, we don't exactly know, but we do believe that they were probably from somewhere near the ancient city of Babylon. They were probably citizens of the Parthian Empire. They were most likely Jewish proselytes, and they'd been studying the Word of God. They were looking into it. They were looking at the writings, perhaps, of the prophet Daniel, and they were believers that God would send a promised Messiah. These men were scholars. They were diligent students of the Word of God, and they lived in a time when there was this heightened expectancy all throughout the Roman Empire that a king was coming, a king would be born. And so they were searching the Scriptures. They were looking diligently to find out if there was some sign 
if there was some significant event that would happen that would show them the correct timing of the birth of this king. Now, next we talked about the star that led them. These men were astronomers. They were astrologers. Now, not astrologers like we think of today. They weren't looking at horoscopes and such things. But they studied the stars. And you can imagine that what their amazement was like when after they had studiously looked at the stars, after they'd mapped the heavens, that one night they see something in those heavens that's completely different from anything that they've ever seen before. Here appears to be something that's out of place. And so they were convinced that this must be the sign that would be given. This would tell them exactly where this king would be found. Now that star was to their west, and this was a light that was so specific that it could not have been intended for anyone but them. In fact, as we talked about last week, we don't have any record in the Scriptures where there was anyone else who actually saw this star. When they came to Jerusalem, they were looking for a king, and there was no one in Jerusalem that said, well, we saw that star too. We've been wondering what it was about. It's been here all this time. We don't understand that. Can you explain it to us? Certainly there were other wise men that were living in Jerusalem at that time. There were people there that also looked at the heavens. They studied the stars, but we don't find anyone talking about this and anyone who is amazed that there was such a bright light in the sky shining, in fact, very near to them. And these people were wondering what that star was about. Now, I think that we see here a light that was guiding the wise men. It was described by them as a star But as I explained to you last week, what I believe that it was was actually a special manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God. This was a guiding light that points men to Jesus. So they saw that star. They moved toward the star, but the star disappeared for a time, and it didn't shine again until they inquired when they got to Jerusalem where the king would be born. And then that light began to shine again, and it led them to the place where Mary and Joseph were. Now, I believe that this teaches us something. I believe that the light that they saw is symbolic of the gospel of Christ that shines into the heart of men. And I believe that this light of the gospel is specific to the individual. It's a light that cannot be seen by everyone, but only by those that God should graciously open spiritual eyes of understanding. Now, when that star reappeared, there's no evidence that there was anyone else who saw it. Uh, Herod didn't see it. If he had, then he would have needed the wise men to return to him to to, uh, tell him the exact place where Christ was born. Now today, then, I want to move on from the search that brought them and the star that led them to this third consideration, and this is the stir that surrounded them. Now, verse number 3 of our text records, When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. The Bible doesn't tell us how many wise men there were that came to see Jesus. Part of the myth and legend that's been added to this story is the supposition that there were three wise men that came. And then added to that, there's also this idea that these men were kings. Now, I like what J. Vernon McGee had to say about this. He said that I think a great many more people know about the Christmas story from Christmas cards than they do from the Bible. We don't actually know how many of these men there were, but there must have been enough of them that when they came to Jerusalem, they caused quite a stir there. These are men that had claimed that they had seen a star. Apparently, it's something that no one else had seen. 
if it was just three men who showed up and they claimed that they were following a star, some bright light that nobody else could see, and they were looking for a newborn king, then probably those three men would have been discounted very quickly as simply being nutty old men. So there must have been many more of these wise men who actually came because when they arrived in Jerusalem, Herod was shaken by this. Now, magi in those days were known to be educated, sophisticated, well-respected men. And so what these men had to say was not quickly discounted. And yet, when they inquired about the birth of the Messiah, the interest was not so much in what God was doing. The interest was more upon what Herod would do. All of Jerusalem was troubled about it. Now, the city didn't rejoice that there was a Messiah that had been born. Rather, there was fear there because of what Herod would do. Now, there's not much in the Bible that's told us about told to us about Herod, but there is a lot of secular history concerning him. And what we learn from secular history is that Herod was a very self-centered, very egotistical man. He was a paranoid person. He was always thinking that someone was vying for control of his empire. And so he had two of his sons killed when he thought that they were conspiring against him. Herod was also married to a very beautiful woman, but he suspected without cause that she was having an affair, and so he had her killed also. So Herod was the kind of man that was just prone to go off. I mean, he would just snap. He would lose it. And then he would start to persecute people. He would kill people for no good reason. And so when this news came, the people were afraid of what Herod would do. They weren't concerned about what God was doing. Now, what about this stir? Well, Herod didn't know how to answer the question. When the wise men came, they asked, where is he that's born king of the Jews? Herod didn't know the answer to the question. And so he called for the chief priests and for the scribes, and he demanded of them where the Christ would be born. Now, I want to uh, talk about three important things that we need to consider here in the response and the actions of the religious Jews to that question. What, what about these Jews when they heard the question? Now, first of all, we could say that there were plenty of facts, but there was no faith. I mean, there, there is no, there's no shortage of prophecy in the Old Testament about Christ. So it didn't take very long for these men to come up to an an, with an answer. They didn't retreat to their council chambers and begin to, uh, to debate between themselves. Where is, where is this going to take place? How are we going to answer this question? They weren't stumped by the question at all. They knew exactly where to go. They went to the scriptures. And so they said, he'll be born in Bethlehem of Judea. Thus it is written by the prophet. And so they went to the Old Testament and they looked into the prophecies of Micah the prophet and they came up with the correct answer. Well, these chief priests and the scribes, they were students of God's word. Now, those scribes especially, think about them. These were the lawyers of the day, and actually they were the conservators of the scriptures. Whenever there was a scroll that was worn out and torn and no longer legible, then the scribes would begin to copy that scroll down, and they make new copies of the word of God. And they were very meticulous about doing this. They would not change even a single word that was written in the scriptures. So they were very familiar with what was written. But the terrible tragedy of these chief priests and the scribes is that they had no real faith in the facts. They weren't interested in where those facts would lead them because their religion was more important to them than the facts. 
You see, what we're talking about here are professional religious people. These are the chief priests. They're very prosperous people. And so they knew that if the Messiah had come, that would not help them. But rather, this person coming to the world claims to be the king who is the Messiah. The only thing that he's going to do is mess up our gig. So they had a religious racket that was going on there, and they weren't interested in Jesus. You know, it's amazing to me that you can turn on your television to the religious programming, and probably in less than five minutes' time, you can find yourself immersed in the religious racket. And there are people on television that are asking for your dollars. It only takes just a few minutes until they start saying, send me an offering and we promise you that you'll have wealth. We promise you there are miracles that will happen to you. You'll have prosperity. Just send in your money. Send in the seed money of your faith and then you'll be blessed. Buy our books. That's what they're asking for. But if you start to look in the gospel into the gospel that they actually preach. There's no preaching there on the gospel. There's no preaching about sin. There's nothing there that's said about hell. All that they really want to do is twist the scriptures or put some kind of strange interpretations upon it. And so there are all kinds of facts that are there, but they don't ask for faith in Jesus. Really, Jesus is just a distraction to all that. They're not interested in him. And so... A king that's born in Bethlehem, that really didn't mean very much. You know, I suppose that the biggest surprise that greeted the wise men was when they came into the city of God, when they came to Zion, that there was no one who was interested that the Messiah had been born. And so I see them as they come into the outskirts of the city. They're very interested in this, and they're wondering, where is this king of the Jews? And they start, they start to ask people as they enter in, And they asked him, where is he? Where can we find him? And nobody knows the answer to the question. Nobody says to the wise men, well, we see that you've come to worship him too. We're all on our way to worship him. Not one single word was said because nobody even cared that he was there. So Jerusalem is a place, a city with facts, but they have no faith. And instead, it took these men who are from the east, from a place that's far away, to come and tell the very city of God that the Messiah had been born. Now, the second curiosity about the stir that was created was that they knew the Word of God, but not the God of the Word. You know, there are many people that are interested in the Bible on purely a philosophical level. I mean, they, they, there are good principles that we find in the Bible, and, and it could be the philosophy of your life to uh, be concerned about people, to care about homeless people, to be concerned about world hunger. Perhaps you champion some philanthropic cause, such as uh, you like to help in the fighting of AIDS or even finding a cure for cancer. And that might be what you think that you're called to do. And so the Bible for many, is really not much more than just a philosophical approach to life. You just put the principles to work, they think, and that means that if you can love people, if you can do good to your neighbor, that's really all that counts. And so they know the Word of God, or at least they think that they know the Word of God, but the problem is they don't know the God of the Word. Now, I would submit to you that the Word of God and the God of the Word are one and the same thing. Now, this is what John wrote in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, John there is speaking about Jesus Christ. He, he's talking about the divine living logos, the living Word. Christianity 
It's not about principles. Christianity is about Christ. It's about the person of Christ. And you'll never be right unless you believe and you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. So you needn't think that things are just going to work out fine in the end because you keep some good principles that you find in the Bible. Now, someone recently said to me, all religions teach the same thing. All religions agree. All religions are right. Folks, Christianity is Jesus Christ, and he stands out above all others. He's a mighty everlasting king. That's what the Bible says about him. And the very same Bible that says to love your neighbor as yourself is also the one that says that every knee must bow and every tongue must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You cannot love your neighbor, you cannot love God without confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so the wise men came to these self-righteous Jews and they came confessing this very fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I promise you that if you go into the neighborhoods of Roanoke Park and you confess to people that Jesus Christ is Lord that is above all others, that you'll cause a stir in your neighborhood. Now, many people will tell you, yes, there are many paths to God. All religions are right. And you shouldn't be so narrow as to say that people can't get to heaven without knowing Jesus Christ. And much less should you be so narrow as to say that people who don't know him will spend eternity in a place called hell. But that very same Bible that makes you kind of warm and feel good about Christmas time and makes you feel uh, filled with compassion about a, a woman who has a baby in such a poor place in a manger is the very same Bible that ends up with a baby that's grown into manhood and then goes to a Roman cross. Now, why did he die? Well, the answer to the question is because there is a hell waiting for people who don't trust him. He died to save us from sin's penalty. He came to die and save us from hell. That's the reality of the word of God and the God of the word. Now, thirdly, these men, or those, these people in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the scribes, they were fakes and not followers. They gave all the right information. They knew where Christ would be born. But did you notice here how many of them went with the wise men to find Jesus? I mean, how much interest did they have when the wise men came? And perhaps, as I said, there were, could have been even hundreds of them that came to Jerusalem looking for the Messiah. But do you see how many of the chief priests, chief priests and scribes walked a mere seven miles to the city of Bethlehem to see Jesus? They passed it off. You go find him. That's what Herod said. He said, you go find him. Then you come back and you just tell us where he is. The chief priests and scribes, they were no different from Herod. They didn't go with the wise men. They heard the very same news. They, these are the ones who are supposed to have faith. These are the ones that believe in the promises of God, but they never even bothered to walk with these men that short distance to worship him also. And you know that reminds us of the apathy that we find in America today. The good news of the gospel is proclaimed we preach that Christ has come, the Messiah is here, the hope of salvation is here, the hope for peace, the desire of all nations, the king of all kings has come. Why isn't the building filled today? Why isn't the parking lot overflowing with people to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ? So you don't, do you know why? you know the real reason to that? It's because, or the real answer to that, the, the, the answer is because the distance is too far. 
Jesus is near us. I mean, his presence is right here in the room today. But the distance is simply too far for anyone who can't see this light. But if you can't see the star, the distance is too far. And so the Bible teaches that you must see him by faith. That's why we don't have a crucifix in our church. That's why we don't have idols that we bow down to. The very fact that the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, yes, there was quite a stir when these men showed up in Jerusalem. But they got the information. They were near. It wasn't far now. Hundreds of miles they traveled. But now they're just a little ways from seeing Jesus. And thank God that the apathy of religion did not stop them from going all the way. And so when that star reappeared, it led them to where he was. Verse number 9 says, And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. Now next, I want you to see the scene that greeted them. Now I think we have further proof here that The Jews in Jerusalem didn't see the brilliant light. Herod didn't see it, or else he never would have asked for that return trip of the wise men. Instead, what he have done, he would have sent those soldiers to to follow that same light that the wise men saw. This would not have been a light that anyone could ignore, not what the wise men saw. You know, I remember a few years ago when it became popular for stores when they were having a grand opening that they would put a searchlight out on the parking lot And you'd have this searchlight with thousands of candle power, and that would shine all over the heavens or in the sky. And you would be looking at that as you were driving down the highway or out in the yard or down the street, and you'd see that bright light over there, and you'd wonder, where's that coming from? What's that all about? And so you would go looking for that light to find out where it's coming from. So you start following the light until you find the source. Well, I don't think that there's anyone in Jerusalem who could have ignored this light if they saw it. But the wise men did see it, and so they followed that light. Now, here's where we notice another one of these untrue legends about Christmas, and that is that Jesus was not then in the manger. The wise men did not arrive on the night of Christ's birth. This was sometimes afterwards, and Mary and Joseph had already moved into a proper place. They were in a house. Now, let me just add something right here. The wise men saw the light of the star. It brought them to where the house was. It stood over that house, and it shined down upon it so they'd know exactly the house that they were to go to. But the wise men did not stand outside looking at that light. Now, the light was certainly an amazing thing, but the light wasn't the greatest interest. You know, there are many people in churches today that focus their attention on what they think is the light. I've already told you, I think this is a special manifestation of the Holy Spirit that was leading them. Uh, Last week I mentioned that I think that it was a lot like that light that led the children of Israel through the wilderness. In the daytime, that was a cloud that they followed, but at night there was a burning pillar of fire that led the children of Israel. Now this looked like a star, but I believe that it's the Spirit that's leading. You know, there are many churches that focus on the Spirit. They're interested in the light. They're interested in a star rather than what that star is pointing to and where the light is shining. Now, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come, but he also said he'll not speak of himself. We're not to look at the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead us to Jesus. He'll reveal Jesus. And so any time that you put your focus upon the Holy Spirit instead of on Jesus, you're looking at the star rather than where the star is leading. 
So the wise men rejoiced to see that star. It reappeared, but they didn't stand outside gazing at the star. They weren't measuring the star. I mean, they weren't trying to find out the latitude and the longitude. There was no spectral analysis and chemical composition of the star that they were trying to find out. The star's not what interested them. They were looking for where the star was leading them, and so they came to the house. And what did they do when they came to the house? They went in, and they gave gifts from grateful hearts. They recognized there's someone here at the end of the journey. And so if there was any doubt that a a real king was there, that a real person was there, that a savior was there, all of that vanished when they saw Jesus. If there was any doubt in their minds that 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 had been placed there by those who weren't too interested in the light, the doubts of the others that they talked to and they encountered on the way, should those things be seriously considered? All of that vanished when they saw Jesus. And friend, I promise you that when the Holy Spirit sends the light of the gospel into your heart and you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, then there'll never be any doubt that your faith has been placed correctly. Jesus satisfies the weary. He fills the hungry. He quenches the dryness of thirstiness. And so these men rejoice that they saw the light. It brought them to Jesus, and in gratitude, they laid their gifts before the king. Now, these gifts were very special. Gold is for his kingship. Frankincense is an admission of his deity. Myrrh says that he was human. And what gifts they were. I mean, this, the Holy Spirit, I think, also enlightened them as to what kind of gifts that they should give. So here they find a king in a commoner's house, and yet they did say he was a king. They, they see him there as a baby. He's helpless and he's defenseless. And let, yet they said that he's God. And they saw him in a flesh and blood body, and they said that he was human. Charles Spurgeon said, Other people might have come in and seen the child and said, Many children are as interesting as this poor woman's babe. Aye, but as these men looked, they saw. All eyes are not so blessed. Eyes that see are gifts from the all-seeing one. Carnal eyes are blind. But these men saw the infinite in the infant, the Godhead gleaming through the manhood, the glory hiding beneath the swaddling bands. And so they understood far more by the gifts that they gave and by the actions they performed than those chief priests and scribes did by their false lip service that they gave to him. Now, the very same thing that these wise men saw is what we need to see in Christmas. Don't ever let the season of Christmas distract from the Savior. So they stepped into that house and they recognized the one who's worthy of worship. It was a light that led them to Jesus. Now, let me also remind you of another very important fact in this story. The Bible speaks loudly in what it does say, but sometimes it never speaks so loudly as in what it doesn't say. They gave their gifts from grateful hearts, and they worshipped his majesty, not his mother. Now, would you look very carefully at verse number 11? Let's see what it does say and what it does not say. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. It does say 
that they fell down and worshipped him. It does not say they fell down and worshipped his mother. Now, if there was ever a time in the scriptures to show us that Mary is deity, to show us that Mary herself was conceived without sin, that Mary is worthy of praise and adoration, that Mary should be given gifts and that we should bow down to Mary, we should pray to Mary, and we ought to consider her as equal to the Son of God. This would be the place in the Scriptures to show us that information. But the Bible is very conspicuous about what it does not say. They did not come to worship Mary. The star did not lead them to Mary. They weren't looking for Mary. The wise men did not say, where is the mother of he that is born king of the Jews? They weren't looking for Mary. They were looking for Jesus. And if they had come looking for Mary, and if they had placed her faith in her, then their, place, their faith would have been misplaced. And if they trusted her for anything, they would die in their sins without the mercy of God. Now, that may sound like some strong words, but God does not want anything or any person to interfere with the majesty that belongs to Christ alone. Now, friends, if you want myths and legends about Mary, then I could tell you, go to Jerusalem. We were there, you know, back in the early part of the year. Go to Jerusalem and see all the shrines and see all the things that have been made there for Mary. And you can even go a step further. You can go there and you can find other things like things that aren't even mentioned in the Bible, like the worship of Mary's mother. Her name's not even given in the Bible. And yet, people worship Mary's mother and there are churches that are built to that. But I'm going to make it much easier for you. I'll make it much less expensive for you than going all the way to Jerusalem to find out the myths about Mary. Because all that you really need to do is go down here on Snyder Lane and take a left and go just a short distance there and you'll find all the myths about Mary that you'd ever want to know. Now, I promise you that a star won't lead you there. The Holy Spirit won't lead you there. But if you go into that place, you'll find the myth of Mary. Now, you may think that I'm unkind. I, I shouldn't say such things from the pulpit. But folks, what I'm preaching you today is what the Bible says and not what the Bible does not say. So what do we do with Mary then? What should we, what should we do with Mary? Leave her exactly where the Bible leaves her. Leave her exactly where the wise men and doing the same thing that the wise men did. What did Mary say? She said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. And so what did Mary say? I'm a sinner too. I need a Savior. And the one that she bore, that very son that she bore, was her Savior as much as he was yours and mine. And we worship him, not her. So the scene that greeted them was a house with a child that would grow up scorned, ridiculed, and rejected. And yet they knew that he would be a king, the Savior of the world. Now, let me finish then with a final observation. And fifthly today, the scare that diverted them. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Herod's intentions were false. He had no plans to come and worship Jesus. He said, when you find him, then you bring back word so that I can come and worship him too. But Herod had no designs on worship. Instead, he wanted to kill him. And so by the divine providence of God, the wise men were warned that Herod had evil intentions. Well, the natural inclination of the wise men would be 
to think that, well, now that we found the child of God, everybody, the son of God, everybody in Jerusalem will want to know about it. Everybody will want to hear this news. And so we'll go back and we'll gladly tell them exactly where the Christ child can be, formed, uh, be found. We'll inform everybody of where he is. Well, that fallacy of that kind of thinking was proved about 30 years later because Jerusalem was never happy about Jesus. In fact, they weren't content. They weren't satisfied until they'd put him on a cross. And so the wise men were warned, not only would Herod kill the child, but he would kill them too. And so they gave their gifts, and then they headed back home to be a light themselves. They headed back home to be people who could tell others about Jesus Christ, the Son of God who'd come into the world. Now, finally then, on your lesson sheet today, they came one way, and they went home another way. Now, physically, of course, the original route brought them through Jerusalem. That's how they came, looking for Jesus. The return route, they were warned, and so they bypassed Jerusalem. They went around it. Spiritually speaking, I think that we can say that our journey to Christ is exactly the same way. This is our experience. We come one way. We come with the burden of our sins. We come with no hope. We come defiled. We come helplessly. But when we see that light and we come into the presence of Jesus, we will leave a different way. Jesus lifts the burden. Jesus carries all our sins upon his back. He gives us the hope of eternal life. He washes us from the defilement of sin. The helpless are helped when they come to Christ. And friend, when you come to Jesus, you'll leave rejoicing in the salvation of your soul. And so the wise men came. They worshiped Jesus. They were led by the light. And I hope that today you see the light of the gospel of Christ. It still leads us to Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's only one way that you can get to heaven, and I pray that God has opened your eyes just as he did theirs. And the only thing that remains for you today is to fall down and worship him too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for Jesus Christ who came into this world to save us from our sins. Lord, I just ask you that you would open someone's eyes today to the gospel of Christ. Let them know, help them to know that no one can save but Jesus. And may we have our eyes totally focused upon you. Pray, Lord, that you would bless all the members of our church, all visitors that we have today. We're so thankful for each one who's come to hear the word of God. And now, Lord, may we rejoice in the light that has come into the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.